0: you know, your assets become liabilities when they don't produce cash flow. And I think that's the biggest takeaway out of the situation is your big, your assets become liabilities when they don't create cash flow. So if you're not in a position from a liquidity standpoint to make sure that your assets are able to create cash flow, then you need to rethink the strategy, right? Because being liquid is the biggest name in the game. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody. and Welcome to Myers Methods presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the pleasure of having Joseph Pinkney with me today. Brother, how are you?
1: I'm doing excellent, man. How about yourself?
0: Amazing. I appreciate you asking, my brother. So this is another multifamily kickstart situation, if I'm not mistaken. You're going to jump on and ask me some questions. We started doing this a couple of months ago just to see if we could get some more of the listeners engaged and see if we could get them started on their journey. So with that, take it away, man. Give them a little bit about your background and then let's just jump into some questions.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on here. So my name is Joseph Pinckney. I am the CEO and founder of J3J Investment Group, LLC. It's a multifaceted investment group that focuses on real estate, stock investment, as well as government contracting. I graduated from North Carolina A&T, did a double major. Aggie
0: Pride.
1: Aggie Pride. So I did a double major in civil engineering as well as physics. I'm also in the Air Force, served there for over seven years now. And I have just been on this journey of trying to, you know, get passive income, make generational wealth and things like that. So that's pretty much about myself.
0: Amazing, bro. All right. So you, you said you guys are working on a lot of different things, but, you know, I'm a multifamily guy. So how can we how can we help you get on your journey for multifamily?
1: Yeah, man. So. Here's my dilemma. I've been looking into a lot of real estate strategies. And ultimately, what it boils down to is I'm battling between aggressively hitting the market and leveraging debt versus taking more of a slower approach, but with that, going for ownership. Now, I'll explain a little bit what I mean. The latter piece, when I'm talking about going for ownership, I've looked into ways to aggressively pay down this home and the home that I'm in. And then once I pay down that home, use the equity in that to make down payments on five or so properties. And once I get those properties, taking that income that I'm making, rolling it up and paying off each one of those properties. And then finally, once all those properties are paid off, using that equity to make down payments on others. Now, in that situation, you get a lot of ownership, but you move a lot slower versus if you're leveraging debt then that thought process, well, you find out if you can sustain however many homes and figure it out if I want to take on the debt and keep it a mortgage and seeing it throughout the entire amortization process versus trying to aggressively pay stuff off. And that's what I wanted some insight on.
0: Ooh, ooh, so you're going to get me in trouble with Uncle Dave, huh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, maybe a little bit. I will say that I've done, I've already done my debt relief and being able to be debt free. So maybe just a little bit, but I want to know your intake on that.
0: Yeah, respect it. Okay. So I guess there's a couple of things, right? Trapped equity doesn't really do you much good in my book because you can't eat equity. A lot of people talk net worth, they talk about a bunch of other things, but I think the name of the game is cash flow, And so and this is going to be consistent across a different, a number of different retirement strategies, namely 401k, right? People put their money in 401k. They can't turn on any cash flow without penalty until 60, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling people, hey, if you want to be a multifamily, if you want to grow your nest egg, you want to grow your cash flow today, then putting your money in the 401k isn't going to solve any of those problems. Right. Mm-hmm. The goal is create cash flow now, create cash flow forever, not put a bunch of money in the Back on the back burner and then eventually grow into that because who knows if you ever get that. so how can you create cash flow today well it's by buying something that usually has some type of subscription tied to it so that people have to pay you over and over again and that's why we like multifamily unlike single family we believe that the properties and multifamily are set up as actual business right they have Ls. they are set up to have all the maintenance expenses run through them Um, The lending is set up so that, you know, you don't ever look to pay it off. You you refinance or so every five to 10 years. And that allows you to maximize the cash flow. The thing that I see with single families, oh, well, I can get in with little to no money, leverage it 97 percent, sometimes 103, depending on the program. And then they don't have any cash flow, right, because the property is fully leveraged. And so mm-hmm. what you've got to figure out is how can you control the asset when that's actually going to throw off some cash flow, have some cushion for the least amount of trapped equity? And this is where a lot of people get stuck. They think they're being smart buying a single family home with max leverage on their personal credit. And what happens is there's not enough money coming off every month in order to pay everything. So case in point, you know, you get $400 a month of cash flow from and air quotes around cash flow from a single family home. And that's just because they're taking what they get in rent and subtracting the mortgage from. They're not taking any carry expenses or capital expense. For saving, mm-hmm. none of that's coming out. They're probably not paying attention to you know maintenance. So I see a lot of people run their maintenance expenses something less than five percent for singles or family homes, and they have one big expense that happens, and they lose everything for the past two years from a um, cash flow perspective, right? So they aren't actually looking at true cash flow because they don't have any operating expenses in- included in their for- for performance. So all that to say, right? You can pay down your single, you can pay down your primary residence, but your primary residence does not provide you any cash flow. And this is why Robert Kiyosaki and Grant Cardone tell everybody to rent where you live and own where other people buy or where other people live. And they say that because they want you to only own things that are going to bring money to you, right? You don't own your car, you rent your car, you lease your car because it's not going to bring you any money. You rent your home because you can write all that stuff off, especially if you run it through the business, right? And Dave Ramsey will say, well, that's idiotic. You're always going to need a place to live, pay off your house. That thing is secure. And then you can take some aggressive reaches with your investments because you know that you always have a place to live because it's paid for. All you have to do is pay the taxes. I don't know where the right answer is. I think it's different for everybody. What we've chose to do is we own where we live. But we don't have a ton of money trapped in trapped equity. And anytime we get to a place where there is a lot of trapped equity, whether it's in our Personal portfolio or in our business portfolio, we look to take that money out and redeploy it. Having, you know, 60 or 70% um, loan to value, in our opinion, is where you're starting to get inefficient, inefficient use of capital. Now, I know some folks who are really wealthy, they own millions of dollars of real estate and their portfolio is leveraged below 50%. If they have some bad months, then they know that they're never going to lose their property just because of the. Place that they're in. Having higher debt forces you to be efficient in the operation of your property. It will also force you to write checks sometimes if vacancy rises too high or if you have a month of really high expenses. And so you don't want all of you don't, you ever heard anybody talk about being uh, property rich and cash poor?
1: No, I haven't. property rich and okay. cash poor. Yeah. I think I get the concept, but display to Yeah, this. yeah,
0: yeah. So the concept really is just that, right? You don't have any money. And this is what happens. This is where we like to buy properties from owners. You don't have any cash in a bank, but you're worth however many million. You can't eat that equity, right? And so you need net worth, but you also need cash flow. You need cash flow more than you need net worth because cash flow is like air, right? If you have air, you don't really think about whether or not you you can breathe or not. As soon as the air runs out, you're like, oh, my God, where's the air? I need some (laughs) money. You got money. You can pay all your bills and whatever else you need to take care of. You don't really think about it. As soon as it runs out, you're like, you're panicking. You're willing to give up anything to get the money back at the door. So. When people, and this usually happens with properties that are older, and usually the owners are going to be older as well, they run out of cash and you start seeing them instead of like buying new appliances, they're moving appliances from one unit to the next. There's deferred maintenance at the property, which causes them to not be able to rent it for as much. When they can't rent it as much, then they get residents in who are not as, I don't, I don't know what the right word is. I'm, I'm trying to pick a really nice word, but let, let's say not as nice residents. And those not as nice residents tend not to pay the rent. And then they also have unsavory characters coming to hang out. And those unsavory characters coming to hang out make other people who would be willing to pay more rent not want to live there anymore. So they move out or when they come to visit to tour the property, they decide that they don't want to live there because of the environment that's created there. And so then the cash flow starts to drop for the person that has a vast majority of their net worth tied up in that property. And so the problem that we solve for them is we come in and we unlock their equity, right? We buy the property for them, give them their cash that's trapped in the property that they were hoping to use to get cash flow off of. And then we buy that stream of cash flow from them, make the necessary capital improvements. And then that property starts to perform for us and give us the cash flow that they couldn't get because when they weren't willing to refinance the property and they probably couldn't have refinance Finance the property because of where the cash flow situation was, or they were scared of debt because, you know, they want to get it paid down because that's what Uncle Dave tells us to do. And in that, they just were in between a rock and a hard place. And so, you know, your assets become liabilities when they don't produce cash flow. And I think that's the biggest takeaway out of the situation is your big your assets become liabilities when they don't create cash flow. And so if you're not in a position or liquidity standpoint to make sure that your assets are able to create cash flow then you need to rethink the strategy, right? Because being liquid is the biggest name in the game here. And this is why I tell people, hey, you know, multifamily is not a poor man's game. You've got to have some access to cash because there will be things that come up.
1: Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, personally, because when I'm trying to debate between the two strategies and listening to what you said about leveraging the debt and making that debt make money for you versus, moving more of a slow's place where you're going through you're taking your time and then you look at your stuff and then over 20 years you may only have x amount of properties but you could have had more had you been more willing to take a risk. So how did you come to terms with I guess that initial risk of just being okay with debt? I know you probably have like savings and you know you have some stuff stocked up for rainy days, but what was that process for you to be okay with hey look I don't need to pay everything off I, it's okay if i'm going through and leveraging this debt to make more money for me
0: a lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators but lack the knowledge deal flow experience and capital to be successful they often try to overcome these challenges out of order slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done we've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals when they do they create the time and location for you as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family, the Myers Methods of Multifamily Investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. The debt allows you to create more cash flow. And I know some people look at unlever cash on cash versus levered cash on cash. I believe the only thing that really matters is levered cash on cash because that's where you're going to do this, right? So and when I say this, this is the only way that you're going to invest in real estate. From my perspective, I don't understand why anybody who can get debt at something less than 5% would not leverage the property, right? That just for the life of me, I can't make heads or tails of that.
1: Yeah, I have
0: no understanding why somebody could borrow money for pennies on the dollar and not use. It just seems like the most inefficient use of capital. Now, I know a lot of people who are fairly wealthy. They'll say, well, Jerome, I need to part my cash. That's why. And I, I get that, but the ability to convert, it's not like it's a stock or bond or some other, you know, asset such as that where you can convert over the course of a couple of days. You know, the fastest it's going to be is about 90 days to convert, you know, your real estate into liquidity. And so if you need that liquidity at any point, then I think you're in a tough spot. So- Yeah, I, I don't, I don't actually subscribe to the school of Dave outside of the debt snowball and getting your personal finances in order after that, you know, and I don't consider the investment in a home personal assets. Honestly, I think that's part of your business strategy because that's where you're accumulating, you know, your network. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I could get that. For me, that's kind of why I started questioning it just because once it moved away from my personal finances and now I'm trying to think of a business strategy, I was questioning how effective that method was in regards to property acquisition and moving forward of that sort. So when you were starting off, I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of like what your personal finances were like, but What was your first approach? Was it, hey, my priority right now is gaining my own personal income or I'm gonna get other people to help me invest so I can have a greater pool of capital to work with when I start off? How was your process in the very beginning?
0: Yeah, most people don't ask this question. I think it's a, a good one. Uh They probably don't ask because they think it's too invasive, but, you know, just highest level, right? I had money in the bank. I was doing really well because I had a pretty big corporate job. I built a $20 million division for Fortune 550, so I was getting comp pretty well. I paid down all of my consumer debt. All I had was mortgages on the homes that I had in Virginia. I had a couple of homes in Virginia and I had a bunch of credit lines. I had a whole lot cash ins- cash value insurance policy and tons of access through credit cards, right? And so I had the capacity to do most of the deals I was looking at by myself, right? But I did, and I partnered with other people to get the first one done. And so that's what we recommend for people who go through our program is to one, if you got a W-2, get access to m- as much unsecured credit as possible, right? Getting access to that unsecured credit allows you to convert that if you have need the liquidity. Two, I think you got to be aggressive when you savings. You know, I was doing something that I wouldn't recommend now, but I was maxing out my 401k. Hindsight, I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept that money liquid so that I could put in real estate Two, You know, I was still being pretty aggressive and other savings outside of that. But what I didn't do, right, when I was making $70,000 a year, that's where I capped my lifestyle. And so when I got into six figures, my lifestyle didn't go up to compensate or accommodate the additional things that I was able to do. And so, you know, somewhere along the way, I think it was like my first or second year working, I read an article from like the Harvard Business School or something. And they were like, yeah, if you make 70 or $75,000 a year, your lifestyle doesn't get any better or your happiness doesn't go up just because you make more money. And so that was enough for me to not do (laughs) it. And so we got pretty aggressive on that. And then we started first, we started uh, doing hard money loans to folks who were fixing, and flipping, and that was generating some decent returns for us. And so then when we left, we decided we were going to fix and flip because we were like, man, I can't understand why anybody would pay us this type of interest on our money. They must be killing it and found out that they actually were. So, <laughs> but that was the process that we went through to get into the game.
1: Got you. Okay. Getting that. And then how much would you say your engineering background attributed to, I guess, your expertise in this realm?
0: Yeah, I think engineers probably make the best multifamily investors, because at the end of the day, it's a word problem, right? Like you got to figure out all the parts and pieces. You got to make the assumptions, set the constraints of the boundaries where your solution is correct. And then, you know, the other stuff is pretty important, but not as important as that, right? It's really difficult to find the nerd, but mm-hmm. the nerd is the person who could do the spreadsheets and stuff, right? And then the other folks come into play, right? You got to have the project management background. So like I actually have my PE and so, but it's in construction, right? So actually going through the process of that, and then I had, you know, a considerable amount of project managers, project management experience. And so putting all those pieces together for me, put me in a space where I was uniquely qualified to do these deals and do them I guess do the heavier value add one, right? Like my background when I was actually working was not in buildings, it was in the power industry, but a project's a project, right? Influences, influence, negotiations, all those things are all a part of the process for the work that I was doing. And so just about all those skills were transferable. And my modeling things in the computer, financial models instead of structural models now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man, that's awesome. I mean, when I was first, introduced to you because I also know my boy Sam still well and you know we were actually in a program together and I started looking into it like okay the similarities with what you're doing and my aspirations because like you said I went out I got my PMP and then I actually did take and pass my PE exam just waiting on the time and in construction as well so having that project engineering and project management experience but like you said you were in corporate And for me, I, as of right now, would work a W-2 for as long as I can, because I don't even want to tap into the passive income that I'm making on my real estate side, because I just want to reinvest that as much as I can. But what was it for you? What was that tipping point for you to say, okay, hey, look. Now, at this point, I'm just going to take all of my time and energy and devote it over to what I'm doing by myself versus maximizing, having
0: that W-2 coupled with your real estate. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said it at the beginning, ownership, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what company you work for, but I don't think your name, your last name's on the building anywhere, right? You're never going to own that. At, At most, you'll get some stock awards, right? So, you know, I... I'm a Jay Z fan. Financial freedom is my only hope, right? And the only way that you get financial freedom is through ownership. You know, it was—it's funny because a lot of guys give me a hard time because I walk around in a T-shirt most days. And they're like, man, you should put on a suit, you should put on a tie, you'll be taken more seriously, stop showing off the tattoos, et cetera. When I realized that the guy in the suit works for the guy in the t-shirt is the day that my life changed forever. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's about ownership. It's about being able to set their own direction. But. The, the, I think the real core of the question that you're asking me. I built that big business and I was told that I was going to lay people off. I had to lay off about half the people I worked with and that sucked. Right. And then mm-hmm. I had to do it again the next year. And the first time I did it, I said I would never do it again. And when I had to do it again, I said I was out. Right. And so you get to decide what your morals and values are. Right. And to put things in perspective, we made six million dollars profit. Then, right. So it's not like we didn't have money. I could have figured out a way to repurpose those folks, but we did. And so you get to decide what your morals and values are and you get to decide whether or not you're going to continue to do it or not. You know, I, like I said, I was told if I was going to stay there, that's what I had to do. I didn't want to be subjected to the whim of other people at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided that I needed to build my own
1: thing. And that's powerful how you said life pretty much tells you when you need it to jump out. And sometimes for people, it's like exclusively financially. And the other times it's something with more. So going off of that, we started off talking about numbers and I love numbers. And then we started going on to like the morals and the purpose of why you do this. So what would you say is, I guess, your fundamental beliefs, so to speak, of how you run your operations that keeps you going. You know, you speak, you spoke about it, how you didn't want to have to let go of people on the corporate side when you saw that it could have been another way. What do you stand by in your principles for that?
0: Yeah, I think the short answer is I believe... (sighs) That love is the only law, right? And so if you can deal with people in love, if you can deal with people in compassion and you always do the right thing, you'll always have everything that you need. And I think there's a lot of people who live in scarcity and they do things because they're trying to get ahead and they're trying to get over and et cetera, et cetera. But what I found is every time I've done the right thing for the right reasons, regardless of who was looking, I've always gotten back more than I ever thought I could have. And so trusting that, that's the way I want to live. Right. Love. Mm-hmm. And love is the only thing you can't say. Right. Like you can't bottle up love and put it over here to the side. Right. Like you can give love in this exchange. Right. You give me the smile. I give you the smile back. That that's love transferring back and forth. And most people don't actually connect the dots. Right. They are just out here in a space where it's what can I get from me? And when you realize the significance is the only true success is when you actually start living.
1: Shoot. That's powerful. I love it, man. I'm a big faith person myself, and it's all about love. I have a family and just trying to learn how to lead even in the smallest ways with love can be hard, but it's an ever going battle, man. So I think that was my biggest thing with the finances and understanding or leveraging the debt versus going for ownership. I think the last thing I wanted to ask you before we left was. What would you say is your biggest piece of advice? I guess a little bit more specific to me because I know you give it all the time, but having a family, having the risk liability, but also blessing of a family responsibility of that. What would you advise for my progression in this multifamily real estate of how to move forward with taking that boldness of, you know, accepting risk?
0: Yeah, I think you mitigate risk through knowledge. Right. So I think every investor is working on four things, knowledge, deal flow, experience and capital. The thing that makes you valuable is having the deal. But the only way you know the difference between a lead and a deal is having the knowledge. And so make sure you've got an end-to-end system on how you're going to actually operate your multifamily business and find somebody who's already been down the path. You can figure it out on your own, but it's the most inefficient and effective way to do that. So get somebody that you trust, learn their system end-to-end, implement it, and then supplement and augment off of that so that you know you don't have gaps. The gaps are the things that bite you and the things that bite you, cost you time or money, usually both, but either or.
1: Makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that, man. I guess that's why I'm in the phase where I am right now, with asking questions, doing research and just trying to hit the ground so that when I go running, I got backup plans and knowledge behind me,
0: man. For sure, Joseph. I really appreciate you jumping on with me, man. It's always good to see a fellow Aggie in the space, man. If I can do anything to help you along the way, please don't hesitate to reach out. And to the listeners, the pack is with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.